The VA has made it extremely easy to access information, to get out there and find benefits that are there for you. Veterans might be eligible for things that they had no idea they're eligible for, no matter what age you are. That's your benefit. That's what you've earned. Take advantage of it. And the only reason I am sitting here today talking to anybody is because of the VA. Explore the many ways VA benefits can help you purchase a home, earn a degree, advance your career, and so much more. Learn about VA benefits you may be eligible for. Visit explore.va.gov today. Hello, everyone. You're listening to This Week at VA. I'm your host, Timothy Lawson. It has been a busy week here at the Department of Veterans Affairs as the Senate has confirmed Dr. David Shulkin as our new secretary with a vote of 100 to 0. We all look forward to working with Dr. Shulkin as we work to continue our service to veterans. I'm really excited about this week's interview with Jared Lyon. Most people in the student veteran space are familiar with him and knows that he is doing a great job as president of Student Veterans of America. But before we get to my interview with Jared, I want to highlight some questions and answers from our Facebook chat with VFW that we held on Wednesday. VFW was kind enough to host a chat and lead the discussion with frequently asked questions regarding education and career benefits and resources provided by VA. I browsed through the comments section and decided to pull a few important ones to mention here. Question one, or first question that I pulled, how is eligibility determined for programs like the post-9-11 GI Bill and the Fry Scholarship? Well, first, for the Fry Scholarship, children and surviving spouses of an active duty member of the armed forces who died in the line of duty on or after September 11, 2001, may be eligible for this benefit. You can find out more information at va.gov by simply searching Fry Scholarship, or you can even Google VA Fry Scholarship. The post-9-11 GI Bill provides financial support for education and housing to individuals with at least 90 days of aggregate service after September 10, 2001. Individuals discharged with a service-connected disability after 30 days can also be eligible. This benefit provides up to 36 months of education benefits, generally payable for 15 years following the release from active duty. Uh, Second question, what benefit is available to veterans who have a service-connected disability that impacts their employment? Uh, Well, VA's VA's vocational rehab and employment offers eligible veterans one-on-one counseling and training to boost your skills and build your career. Uh, Dependents may also qualify for vocational counseling services if they meet eligibility requirements. Uh, More information about that can be found at benefits.va.gov slash voc rehab. That's V-O-C rehab. Uh, And the third question, this came from uh, a member of the audience. I have exhausted my VA education benefits and now have a doctorate, but cannot find a full-time job and are concerned about my financial health. Well, VA offers employment resources at vets.gov slash employment, and you can also go to veterans.gov, which is an employment resource portal created by the Department of Labor. So you see the entire forum, go to facebook.com slash VFW fans. VFW currently has that discussion as their pinned post. This week's feature interview is with Navy veteran Jared Lyon. I've admired Jared since he began his involvement at Student Veterans of America. SVA is a very respected organization in the veteran community, and Jared's current leadership has contributed to their success. 
Jared is going to share with us his experience in the military, his insight from being a student veteran, and advice he can provide to current or prospective veterans pursuing higher education. Enjoy. Jared Lyon, the president of Student Veterans of America, Navy veteran, someone that I have watched grow in this organization uh, since my first years uh, at AU, which would have been 2013. You were, you were here at that point, right? Um, I was still at Syracuse University okay. uh, working at the Institute for Veterans and Military Families, but a proud alum at yeah. that time. Okay, so you joined here 14 then? Uh, 2000... Uh, I, feel like I've, I feel like you've been here I think it was October 2014, I think you're right. Okay, yeah. 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 Um, and I remember when they announced you uh, to be the new president, and the people that I knew, that knew you better than I knew you, were really happy about that. Um, and I think the community in general was really um, excited uh, for that, uh, that new step in leadership. So I know I'm a couple years late, but congratulations on, uh, on being able to take that opportunity. And SVA is, I mean, booming like crazy. I see the national, the NatCons are trending on yeah. Twitter. Yeah. and. All of my friends go. I feel I, I experience a little bit of FOMO. I'm like, why aren't I there? <laughs> I know I'm not a student anymore, but I feel like I should be there. Um, well, you should be there, brother. You it's should. true. Yeah, you it's true. Um, hopefully, next. Where's it going to be next year? So we haven't announced yet. Okay. Uh, that that's that that'll be coming in the coming weeks. Okay. Uh, but you'll like it. Okay. Vegas. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> That could be that could be dangerous. A bunch of veterans running around. We uh, have had an atcon in Vegas before. Yeah, we have. It was it was a while ago. We haven't had one since. Sure, so. sure. So Jared, the the one thing that everybody on this podcast has in common is they made the decision to join the United States military. Mm -hmm. Different branches, different jobs, different careers, but we all share that one experience deciding to join. Bring us back to that decision for you. So for me, uh, the decision to join uh, the world's finest Navy uh, was, uh, was, you know, I think like for a lot of us, a decision that you make when you're, when you're really young. And so to kind of go back to uh, that for me, you know, that 18, 19 uh, year old, for me, I, uh, uh, my mother and father didn't go to college and uh, college was perhaps on my horizon. It definitely would have been for athletics. I was a little, I was a little actually nervous about the prospect of school. Um, and it was uh, kind of a, a random scenario. I had graduated and it would have been, uh, you know, probably around May, uh, thinking about going uh, to college, uh, had some offers on the table. Um, but I talked to a Navy recruiter by happenstance. And uh, I had always known since a really early on point in life that I was going to serve. Uh, I had a, an affinity for the Navy because, of course, like a lot of young men around my age, I, I loved Top Gun, so I thought I was going to be Tom Cruise someday. Sure. Uh, didn't know you had to go to college first, but when I talked to that Navy recruiter, um, it was like, you know, have you ever thought about going in before? There's all these opportunities to earn your degree later or while you're in, et cetera. I heard about something called the Montgomery GI Bill at the first time at that time. and. Um, I went home, I did some soul searching. I didn't really talk to my parents about it because I knew that they would be um, a little apprehensive about the decision. Um, went back to talk to the recruiter again, uh, you know, take the mock ASVAB, uh, then, you know, then it's MEPS. And then I, uh, so, you know, I think I, I started the decision in May and made the decision myself. Uh, and I, I, I left for boot camp on August 5th, 2001. Uh, so I, uh, I, I, I forgoed college to 
enlisted in the Navy, uh, joined a peacetime military. Uh, you know, August 5th, 2001 um, means that I, I was actually in uh, boot camp in Great Lakes, Illinois on September 11th. So I was actually in basic training when September yeah. 11th occurred. So I've had a, um, quite a few people on the podcast that joined pre 9-11, sure. experienced 9-11 at some point in their career. Absolutely. Um, and I'm always curious to know what shifts in the environment did you notice between September 10, 2001 and September 12, 2001? So I went to Navy boot camp, right? Uh, certainly not Marine Corps boot camp. Um, uh, but, I, but I'll tell you, uh, on September 11th, there was something noticeably different. Uh, your environment is controlled a lot more, obviously, when you're when you're you know in in basic training in the sense that like you know you're not seeing the outside newspaper every day or yeah. the, the news or those types of things. So we knew something was up. Uh, didn't didn't really understand what it was. Uh, they had come into our division. Uh, our recruit division commanders did uh, and grabbed guys from like New York City and New Jersey. Um, we didn't see them for kind of the rest of the day. We found out later that they had uh, broken the news to them and actually uh, gave them the opportunities to try to reach family members yeah. uh, to check in on folks and make sure people were okay, which was actually really cool. Yeah. Um, that's what had happened. Uh, and then later that evening, uh, our sister division uh, came into our, our barracks and uh, we're all sitting there Indian style. And they, they rolled in one of those... Uh, remember the old, uh, you know, it's going to be movie day in yeah. elementary school, yeah. the, the TV on the cart with the VCR? And they, they played us what, you know, best I could describe as like a news clip as to, you know, these, these are the events that occurred today. Um, and we were seeing them for the first time and understanding what it was. Um, and in an odd way, I think we thought it was like a scenario, uh, a drill almost. Oh, and we didn't almost believe that that was a real thing, that, uh, that there could have been an attack on U.S. soil. Um, so it was our senior chief um, who was... Uh, a CB and, and a tough son of a gun uh, had sort of the gruff voice, you know, said, you know, listen up, gentlemen, uh, th th this is real. This is not a drill. This is not a scenario. Um, and, uh, and, and it means that from this point forward, uh, your time in the military is likely to be uh, in wartime. And, and that changed. Uh, the vibe in boot camp changed, the mentality changed, the intensity changed. Um, and we knew we were preparing uh, not just for, you know, how do we march the right way and get our uniforms on the right way, but for the, for the prospect that our nation would be at war. Um, and uh, when I graduated boot camp, uh, we were the first division to have our families allowed back on base. Uh, everything was, you know, security was a lot tighter. And we got weekend liberty uh, in Chicago. I'd never been to the city of Chicago before. Uh, I, I grew up in the suburbs of Massachusetts, so like a big city was Boston to me. And uh, so to see Chicago for the first time, uh, taking the train in from Great Lakes, Illinois, I had never seen so many American flags uh, ever in my life. Yeah. And here I am, dress whites with a bunch of brand new sailors, uh, you know, no, no, no ribbons on our chest. We're, we're brand newbies in the Navy. And I can't count how many people came up to us to thank us for our service. And, and you know, we really had this, like, sense of, gosh, what have we done to deserve any level of thanks yet? Yeah. Um, but it, it, was, it was really interesting for the first time out of boot camp and, and back into the broader uh, civilian community to just see a nation united in that way, and especially with uh, the pride you saw in the city of Chicago with that many American flags. I'll, I'll never forget that. Yeah, absolutely. You went on to do something worthy of those things uh, after so. that. Um, give, me, give me an experience that you had during your time in the Navy um, that you think sort of sums up your experience, something that sort of 
represents sort of when you look back at your your time in service that you know that sort of is like the epitome of like what what you experienced wow just one so yeah um in, in, in the Navy, I was, uh, I was a member of the submarine community, um, which is a, uh, an all-volunteer uh, uh, group. At the time, it was all-male. Uh, the submarine community is, 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 is being integrated now um, with, our, with our sisters in arms, uh, joining very proudly um, the, the strong heritage of, uh, of submariners. Um, but it's a, it's, it's a unique part of the Navy. Um, you know, folks often describe it as, you know, it's less than 1% uh, of sailors ever set sail on ships that sink by design, you know. So, um, you know, everything on a submarine has to do it on the surface, but it all also has to do it while it's submerged. Um, so it's a very complex uh, piece of machinery. Um, some would argue the most advanced piece of weaponry that our, uh, that our military has ever conceived is, is, a, is a U.S. nuclear submarine. Um, that said, we were, uh, I was stationed on the USS Alexandria, and, and we were the uh, the first vessel in the modern era to do an around-the-world deployment. And so um, we didn't necessarily know at, at first it was going to be a full around-the-world deployment. So I have, um, you know, in, in, in Navy speak, I have the Order of the Magellan. Um, but we actually circumnavigated the globe. And, uh, and that was something that I feel was really encapsulating of my time in service is that you took a crew who had never done that before, um, who had trained for lots of different scenarios, um, prepared relentlessly for really anything, and we were thrown a mission that even as we set out on it, weren't really sure what it was, and none of us had ever done it before. Yeah. Uh, so we had to operate in, in so many different environments, um, so many different areas of, of responsibility, uh, with different fleets, different navies, uh, different cultures, um, and as we circumnavigated the globe, um, it was it was so cool to me to watch, you know, a group of, of really before something like that, you're essentially strangers and, you know, 140, uh, you know, guys come together and bond in a way uh, to do something that no one's ever done before. Um, it was really kind of neat and such a unique opportunity. Um, not to mention on that deployment, uh, lots of uh, amazing missions in support of the U.S. Uh, interests worldwide. Um, but we did get some pretty cool ports of call along that way. So, yeah. um, uh, but uh, it was it was for me the ability to watch a team come together to do something they had never done before, and, and on all accounts by any metrics be phenomenally successful. And I think it's indicative of really folks that I knew when I was in service in the Navy, uh, but then definitely uh, carries over to those that I've met as a veteran. Um, it's some of the most uh, uh, really just ingenious group of women and men that I've ever met in my life that are capable of nearly anything that you throw their way. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's kind of what I recall from my time in uniform. Very cool. Then you got out. I did. What prompted that decision? So it was a hard to say. I, I, uh, when I joined the Navy, uh, my dad was not somebody that served in the military. My grandfather did. He, 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 was, uh, he served in Europe in World War II. He was in the Army. Um, but my dad hadn't. And, and being a baby boomer of that generation, um, having himself grown up in the Vietnam era, uh, not being sure that like, the military was the right environment for his son, wasn't pleased that I left for military service. Um, I think as a man, uh, you know, I turned 19 
the day before I left for, for boot camp. Uh, your dad doesn't know anything, right? Yeah. It was after September 11th, I got this wonderfully, you know, handwritten note from my dad, uh, just sort of expressing the pride that he had that, you know, that he somehow could have raised a son willing to serve his country in time of need. And my younger brother followed me into the Navy afterwards. Um, so having the advice that I was given right before I left for like, oh goodness, are you making the right decision? Uh, to when you kind of get to that point at the end of your first enlistment, am I going to stay or go? And your dad's now saying, you got to retire, you, you got to do a career. Like, are you kidding me? This is yeah. like the, the Navy is the best thing that you could have ever done. Your country needs you, you should do it. So uh, for me, I had a feeling that I, I probably wanted to continue to stay in the Navy. Um, I had applied for the Blue to Gold program uh, to try to uh, get a commission for the Navy, um, and I did not get picked up for it. Uh, so for me, I, I had put all my energy towards, I'll, I'll try to become an officer. Uh, I really wanted to commission as an EOD officer. This, this would have been around 2004, 2005. You can tell the need that we had uh, for, for folks to be able to do that type of work. Uh, Navy EOD had always very much intrigued me. Um, but I didn't, I didn't get picked up. And now you're like, well, what do I do? So you start looking for the orders that you could perhaps get. Um, you're starting to really make the decision. You know, it's, if I re-enlist, it's probably for a career. And I knew that if I had stayed in the military, I, I wanted the opportunity uh, to try to become an officer. And I saw the path after I didn't get picked up for blue to gold as it would be faster for me to get out and then start using the GI Bill to finish my degree and then try to commission back in through OCS. So for me, getting out was like that kind of a thing. Yeah. It was also like, well, if I get out, I'm going to need to work. I can't not work. I've got, you know, uh, obligations, et cetera. Uh, didn't have a family, but, you know, car payments and things, you know, a, a, sure. a lifestyle I was accustomed to. <laughs> yeah. And so um, I needed to go on the job search and I had no idea where to start. Uh, and so I actually <laughs> went on base through a random way to direct there and there was just a binder full of resumes and they were essentially like hey find your rate uh which is like you know your your, your version of like an mos in yeah. the marine corps find your rate find other people that were around your rank and just put your resume together based on their resumes it was actually fairly decent advice uh given at that time around, around 2005 when i decided to get out there wasn't a, a lot of the same resources that we have today um, so I did that and then uploaded it to like every job board you could imagine just blindly, you know, your monster.coms and um, uh, uh, the, the federal job boards, etc. And I wound up getting a call from a retired Navy chief um, at Northrop Grumman. Uh, sort of saying, hey, we have a position, requires a security clearance, which I had had for my time in the Navy. And uh, you seem really interested. So it was actually a fellow veteran having actually made that reach to me. Then, then helped me get that interview that I probably wasn't all the way qualified for. Um, but he had looked at my resume and told his boss, I find this out later, he was like, hey, this guy was, was, a, was a submariner. He was also a diver on submarines. There's nothing he can't figure out. And he has a security clearance. Let, yeah. Let's consider him. So at least got my foot in the door for the interview. Uh, I wound up getting the position um, and, and taking my first job. So I knew getting out that I was gonna have a job to go to. Uh, it was back in Florida, which was where family was. Even though I grew up in Massachusetts, my family moved to Florida my senior year in high school. So uh, it, it seemed like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna get out and I'm gonna go to work and go to school. Yeah. In an effort to try to maybe come back in. Sure. Um, so a lot of veterans uh, in their first few years of getting out experience some sort of emotional crisis. Sure. Is that something that you experienced? 
an emotional crisis, I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure that I would call that. I mean, for me, uh, one of the struggles that I had, I think was like more, more an identity. Uh, you know, I, I don't think I considered myself a veteran when I first got out and not necessarily in the sense that I wasn't proud of my service or didn't know that I was a veteran, but like a veteran to me was like, you know, my, my pop-up who served in World War II, you know? Yeah. Um, I'll be a veteran when I can wear the cool campaign ball cap, <laughs> pull my pants up a little bit uh, higher on the waist. Like that's when I'm a veteran, you know? Like, like for me, I was trying to get out and like get, get life going. So it's like, you know, who am I now and what's my same kind of purpose, I think, was the, the thing that, 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 that I was uh, uh, working through in my transition. But I think something that I found a lot of benefit from is as I got out, um, you know, a couple months later, uh, you know, good buddy that I had served with uh, got out and moved moved in with me. Uh, we we wound up having like a like one of those houses with four bedrooms that we were renting that I just started filling up with brothers I had served with. Yeah. And so a few months after that, my uh, my other good buddy that I served with had had gotten home from Afghanistan, uh, moved right in. Um, and so we had like kind of a great support system of each other. I don't think we knew it at the time, but we kind of came home together, realized we've got to get our butts in school, um, work full time so we can afford it. We all started off at community college. Um, but I was creating like a peer group, uh, yeah. like a support group organically. We didn't even realize that's what we were doing. So um, I think it became really apparent early on in my transition that like I was I was probably going to have a tougher go at it if I was doing it alone and just sort of in the sense that like guys I'd served with we were good friends we were getting out at the same time we, we, we got out together if yeah. that makes sense yeah now you're at SVA yeah running uh, what I think is one of the more finer organizations in the veteran space one that definitely inspires and I think that's something even in itself is worth its weight in gold sure um, in our community I remember me. Uh, I'm sure you, you know Timothy Jones. Oh yeah. Uh, we've done. We did a story on him last year, and uh, the first time I met him, all he could talk about was how much he loved SVA and how much he was looking forward to the next NACON. That's awesome. Uh, and from you know getting involved at AU, I became the president uh, AU Vets for uh, only a semester, but you know you, you it, all, that's all it took to notice an impact that you can have on a peer group. Something I'm interested uh, to hear about. Maybe maybe you can use your own experience in school to, uh, as an example. When I was getting out of the Marine Corps, I remember my first sergeant telling me, if you go back to school, shop the best schools. Like, you are free money to those, orga to those institutions. Awesome. awesome advice. Yeah, and he's like, if you don't end up going there, that's fine, but never think you can't get into a school because you're not smart enough because you have the money that, they, <laughs> that they're looking yeah. for. And a school's a business, you know, when we look, when we look, uh, when we really get down to it, you're adding to a demographic that they're proud to report on, right? You're adding to a veteran population that schools love to, sure. to sort of boast about, um, and so that's what made me feel confident in being able to go to a private university like American. Like American, um, I, I try to tell my friends, pick one Ivy League school that you wish you could go to and just apply. Absolutely. And if you don't want to move to that part of the, even if they accept you. Put the acceptance letter on the wall. Tell everybody you got accepted there, and then go to the school you really want to go to. Absolutely. Um, so, tell me about your school choice and sort of how you would make those recommendations to other veterans that are just transitioning out or just getting ready to use their benefits Absolutely. on school choice. So, be honest with you, brother. That first sergeant, his advice uh, was money. Like that's not typically the story I, I usually wind up hearing. Um, I, I think that. 
our organization nationally is, is almost on a mission to um, stop hearing, I wish I would have known or I wish somebody would have told me yeah. as it pertains to higher education. Um, so if you look at who today's student veterans are nationwide, um, SVA at the national headquarters, uh, we definitely invest heavily in research. Uh, primarily because, I mean, you've met our national headquarters staff. We're not a huge team. Uh, we're, we're based here in D.C., uh, but we've made the realization, I think, uh, because a lot of us are prior service and now veterans, that we knew in the military, work smarter, not harder, right? Mm -hmm. And so we find our ability to do that uh, through research. So some basic demographics on student veterans and something that I think um, – uh, doesn't probably come to a shock uh, to folks like ourselves who have been student veterans, but nearly two-thirds of our population were first-generation college students. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when you look at a first-generation college student broadly about their, their choices uh, about where they choose to go to school, it's not always such an informed choice because think of how anyone makes a decision. You start looking at your own affinity structures, uh, people that you know in your network, you start asking questions. And if not everyone that you know has gone to college, you know, you start just piecing things together on your own. And so you're limited in, in your ability to make an informed choice. But I, I can't echo your sentiments enough. If you're a transitioning service member and you're thinking about uh, when you get out, you're going to go to college, shoot for the moon. I think as veterans, sometimes where we eat too large a slice of humble pie, uh, and, and I think that's indicative to our population, and that's, that's a cool thing, but as it comes to your education, it is the one thing that you will get that no one can ever take away from you. And I refer to your college degree, our college degrees, as the great equalizer. I mean, when you achieve your associate's degree, your bachelor's degree, your master's degree, your PhD or a doctorate, you quite literally on par with everyone else that has done that. And so regardless of the fact that like, you know, I'm a guy whose parents didn't go to college um, and have a master's degree, you know, I'm, I'm no different than anyone else with a master's degree now. And, and that's, that's really what your education is. So for me, it's, it's sort of that ability to make an informed choice about where you go to school is super important. But my own transition to higher education was fresh out of the Navy. I, I didn't really know where I was supposed to go um, other than that same chief that got me that first job uh, about two weeks after I was at the company sort of just sat me down and said, hey, Lion, what, what, what are we doing? And I was like, well, my big goal is, you know, I'll finish my degree and then try to commission back into the Navy. And he goes, where are you enrolled in classes? And I was like, uh, well, you know, I'm, I'm getting settled in. I'm trying to, and really what I needed, I needed a, a kick in the butt is what I needed at that time because I probably would have just delayed a little while longer. And the longer you delay those decisions, the harder it gets to make them. And he goes, listen, after lunch tomorrow, go home tonight, gather whatever you need because after lunch tomorrow, you're heading down to uh, Brevard Community College and you're not coming back here until you're enrolled in classes. Yeah. I achieve, you know, like that. I kind of needed that. And uh, for me, I wound up being that guy that as other guys were getting out, hey man, got to get to school. Like that's the thing. Start somewhere. Um, and whether it's applying to an Ivy League or, you know, a top 100 university, whether it be private or public, um, I, I wish I'd shot for the moon a little higher. Wasn't super engaged as a student veteran when I was in community college. I was focused on working and, and the transition, et cetera. Uh, and I regret that. But I did a series of different things after I, 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 uh, I left my first job. I 
started a business, I failed a business, uh, started another business that actually led me to a job in Major League Baseball uh, with the Washington Nationals. Um, I spent three seasons as their manager of Florida operations before leaving baseball to, to literally go back to college. I was 28 years old and I, I still only had an associate's degree. And I, I kept thinking of it as that great equalizer. And I knew wherever I wanted to advance in my career, I wanted to have the opportunity to be in a management role or a leadership role. And you know, every job application I would look at, uh, you know, had a box that I couldn't check. That box was bachelor's degree, at least, as, as a minimum. So I kept calling my bachelor's degree a sort of check in the box. And I saw an opportunity to apply to uh, my, my stretch school, my dream school, which was Florida State University. Yeah. Um, I had a miscalculation in the state of Florida. You go to a community college and get a, an associate's degree from a community college, you're guaranteed admission to the, to the state schools in the state of Florida. But I didn't know that. And so, <laughs> you know, I apply and I get, you know, no sooner do I apply, I get the acceptance email like, you know, two, three weeks later saying, you've been accepted to Florida State University. Brother, when I looked at that, it might as well have said Harvard. I was like, whoa, I got in. Now you make that decision. Do I, you know, do I go or not go? So I decided to go to Florida State, I get on campus, I'm 28 years old, uh, I make all the mistakes everyone does moving to a new city, especially in a college town. I think you can just go get an apartment, like that's, you know, its own, uh, someone should write a book on, on moving to a college town as a grown up. Um, but <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's tough, and in my first two weeks on campus, I kept feeling like I made a big mistake. I, 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 to use a Navy term, I was a fish out of water. I just, I didn't feel like I related to now my new peers, who were 18 to 22 traditional age college students on a campus with 40,000 or plus students. And I, I just, I, I didn't know how to find my place. Um, it was in those first two weeks, I had talked to my, uh, my girlfriend, my, my wife now, my girlfriend at the time, and uh, I knew that second kick in the pants, yeah. um, where I was like, I, I'm thinking about leaving, I'm thinking about quitting, and she's like, you don't quit, that's not what you do. Like, what do you mean you're gonna quit? Like, just, you know, she gave me like a pep talk, tough love, right? And uh, the next day, as, as weird as it sounds, the next day I saw a little advertisement on my campus that said, are you a veteran? This room, this date, this time. And it was an advertisement for my SVA chapter at Florida State. And so um, it's funny, I showed up to that first meeting, I don't know that I was looking for veterans. As, as you recall, I'm, I, so I'm not, I, I didn't know that I was a veteran at that time. But I think what I was looking for was other grownups. And I was like, well, veterans are gonna be like me, they're gonna be around my age. And I showed up seeking that opportunity as a non-traditional student to find other non-traditional students. And I related instantly to the shared life experiences of veterans. So that's how I came uh, to SVA. Before the end of my first chapter meeting, I, I, I asked so many questions. I was voluntold to become the vice president. Um, I, I later was elected as the, pre as the club president. But, um, but it was that opportunity to find a, a group of peers on campus that I could relate to. And, and not have that be the end all be all, but th to have that group really serve as, 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 as the launch pad to get involved with other things on campus and other students on campus. Because back to that statistic where nearly two thirds of us are first generation college students, when we go back to college as transitioning service members, we have an opportunity to build an affinity structure, a network of, of, of you know, folks that also got into those universities, like American University, what a network, you know, yeah. Florida State University, I later went to grad school at Syracuse. These are amazing institutions of higher learning that recruit some of the best and brightest minds to not only attend the universities, but to teach us at those universities. 
So if you're that student veteran that, that kind of puts the blinders on and just goes to class, you'll graduate uh, and you'll get a, a fancy piece of paper that you can put it on a nice frame and hang on your wall. But then when you start going to look for that, that, that next job or, or that next opportunity, you, you, don't, you don't have an enriched network that higher education can provide you. Um, so that's where I think SVA can be so vital is we are a group of, of student veterans uh, where you can have you know, that, that, that peer-based mentor group, i.e. a chapter, to meet other like-minded individuals, to serve as the launch pad to the other amazing opportunities that our, our colleges and universities have to offer from associates to PhD and sort of everything in between. Yeah. When I went, I remember when I was involved in, uh, in AU Vets, okay. uh, but wasn't like, didn't have an officer position or anything. Sure. I just, I, we had a lounge and it was nice to leave the rest of the population and like segregate sure. ourselves in this lounge <laughs> uh, where veterans could be veterans for a little sure. while. Um, I remember sitting in the School of International Studies and seeing uh, the clear as day Marine Corps tattoo on someone's arm. Uh, and of course, like, there's no doubt about it, right? right. You, no one gets that on there because they, that, you know, because they... <laughs> you're just a fan. Yeah, like, yeah. you're just a fan <laughs> of the Marine Corps, that's, right? That's a moto tat. Yeah, right, like, that's, that's a moto tat. And so I, you know, I, I engaged with them and I was like, look, you know, we don't do a lot of, we don't do a whole lot of things, but at the very least, we have this lounge that has some coffee and stuff in Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Uh, and that guy kept on showing up every week for the rest of the time that I was there. Yeah. Um, I've, I've heard from a lot of um, universities that outreach is one of the more difficult things that they have on being able to reach the veteran. Sure. Especially because a lot of veterans, when they go on campus, aren't willing to... Some veterans don't want to get involved in that demographic right Absolutely. out of the, the military. Off, the, off those couple of, uh, of, of points there, can you sort of speak to what you've learned about the veteran experience on campus um, as a new student that is... Uh, that you know is looking for community weary of automatically associating with the veteran community because sure. there's some stigma there that I think some people are unsure of um, just anybody that's going into their first year what they're what they should be looking for in their SVA chapter the right steps to take on approaching them uh, any any of those things that, that inspires you speak on that yeah no it's it's um, I appreciate the opportunity to win when you kind of uh, show up to a campus as a, as a student veteran, you have, I guess, um, really what I refer to as a, an opportunity and an obligation. So I'll start with the opportunity. Um, whether you want to associate yourself as a veteran or not, uh, what I think that you'll find in a lot of SVA chapters nationwide, and we have nearly 1,400 of them now in all 50 states and four countries overseas, believe it or not, and hmm. you know, we as an organization have helped uh, directly uh, with some uh, amazing partnership opportunities with the Home Depot Foundation to, between uh, the Home Depot Foundation and SVA, build over the past few years, 112, build and renovate 112 student veteran centers on as many campuses yeah. throughout the country. So those, those uh, veteran lounges, student veteran resource centers, they're, they're a great sort of home base. And, there is a propensity sometimes to sort of, uh, as you described, segregate yourself. I'd encourage you to not segregate yourself. Make it a place where um, it's inclusive, that, that other students are welcome as well as student veterans, because it's that opportunity to build the network, and this is where the opportunity lies. So most of us, when we come back to school as student veterans, 
we are like the uber non-traditional students. Um, you know, most of us uh, are going to be, it doesn't come as any shock, but over the age of 25, about half of veterans, uh, student veterans nationwide are, are married when they go to school. Some, you know, 46% have children when we go back to school, 14% of which are single parents. 46%, it's that high. Yeah, huh? wow. yeah. And so, um, and uh, and about about half of us are working full-time when we're back in school. Some 25% are working part-time. So, so this notion that the GI Bill is a quote-unquote free ride you know the GI Bill is is, is designed for uh, sort of a like a 22 year old single male or female with no dependents. And if you're that, I mean the GI Bill, yes, you could probably do it. But if you're an older student veteran uh, compared to your traditional counterparts, and you have family obligations or just even a car payment and a cell phone bill and those types of things, like you're you're kind of paying your own way. Uh, the GI Bill is a wonderful benefit, but certainly not a free ride. And so the opportunity is to come to a campus. Uh, and engage with other student veterans because uh, we've learned through research that uh, when you come to a college campus, uh, the number one predictive factor uh, that I can uh, find that says whether or not you're likely to reach graduation is, is not access to financing, is not tutoring services, uh, is not cultural competency, uh, is not even course sequencing, right? All those things play factors into it, uh, but a student that has this one thing is three times more likely to graduate than any other one thing. A community. A, a friend on campus. A, a friend community. on campus. Exactly. Okay. And from that first friend is the next friend and then yeah. a community and that network. Um, you can look at, you know, wonderful concepts that are, are more recently like Sebastian Younger with Tribe or, mm -hmm. you know, all these concepts that I think resonate with us. But that's your opportunity is, is to find your community of, of folks when you get to a campus so that you're not doing college alone. Like you're doing it with a group of other folks who kind of get you. Your jokes are sort of funny, but it's also that great way to assimilate to your new environment. I always make the joke to a new student veteran that, you know, a lot of us uh, in the post 9-11 era have had the uh, have had the opportunity to deploy overseas. And before one deploys, no one ever sits you down and says, hey, brother, hey, sister, Make sure that when you get there, you stick out like a sore thumb. That's not the advice that anyone's given. Right. You know, uh, it's this concept. Make sure of, you wear your Oakleys right, and your tactical yeah. cargo it's, pants. It's the digi backpacks a must. Those, those yeah, <laughs> high and tight is like the standard issue for every yeah. student veteran, right? Um, and that's a gender neutral high and tight. But uh, no, of course not. This is almost just silly, right? Yeah. Um, the idea, the same advice pertains that, that 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 when you come to a new culture, you find that way to assimilate to that new culture. And there's your opportunity when engaging with a student veteran chapter is to take the blinders off and build that community. The opportunity is something that, uh, that almost shocked me when I learned it. But this is the first time in American history where one in three college students that are on a campus today state that they know a veteran firsthand. Huh. Uh, so that means that you know two-thirds of them, uh, no one in their family served, shoot, no one in their neighborhood served. Yeah. So you have an opportunity as a veteran when you come back to campus and you become a student veteran to really help bridge that, uh, that concept of the civilian-military divide because you know when you come to a college campus, you're surrounded primarily by civilians. And you know a funny thing about civilians? Guess what they don't call themselves? Civilians. Civilians, right? Yeah. And like, so we even use some of those language and words matter, right? And yeah. so when you have this opportunity uh, to come to a campus and engage with those student veterans, I feel you almost have an obligation uh, to show uh, the value uh, of the all-volunteer force uh, to a new generation that's coming up. Because here's the big picture. 10 years from now, if you're a student veteran on a college campus, 10 years from now, who are the hiring managers 10 years from now? People with a college degree or people without a college degree? It's likely to be people with a college degree. Well, that's a traditional student 
who's probably 19 or 20 on a college campus sitting in your classroom. And you have, uh, I dare say, an obligation to make sure that they're not dependent on um, you know, the news media or something they saw in a movie or maybe a stereotype of a veteran. You know, they, they get to know you personally as a, as a, as a fellow uh, student at AU. Uh, they, they realize, hey, maybe you got a beard now or, uh, or maybe you're a woman who was an MP and it's like, I don't even know what an MP is. Could I, could I have a conversation about that? They get to know you as a person, a fellow student, and a veteran. And it really gives this wonderful opportunity, and that's where I say we have a, an obligation as student veterans, to help other students on campus know us as you know, these amazing, civically engaged, outstanding leaders on our campus and in our communities, and really in our nation. And, and that is something uh, that I think as a student veteran, you have such a great opportunity and an obligation uh, to, to come back and engage. One thing I really appreciated about the School of Communication at American University was the it was never assumed that I was going to do the veteran stuff. Sure. You know, like, you know, I'm a communication major, doing a lot of news reporting, doing a lot of subject matter stuff, and I was always proposed, like, the, hey, like, do you want to cover this? But it was never assumed that that's what I was going to do. Sure. My experience was asked for when necessary, but, like, I wasn't, you know, I didn't become the the go-to on everything veteran and military. Sure. Just how, like, you know, you went, you know, my experience was acknowledged and respected, but it didn't pigeonhole me as this one thing in the classroom. Right. And unfortunately, I've heard different experiences that veterans have had, you know, across campuses nationwide sure. on questions they get in the classroom. Absolutely. Um, assumptions made of their political sure. or their religious stances simply because they served. Um, but it was really refreshing to be uh, in a classroom environment where none of that was uh, the case. And I'm, I feel like every, not even year to year, semester to semester, I'm hearing more of those kinds of stories than, and I think campuses are sort of waking up on, um, uh, I guess not waking up, but they're getting, they're becoming more experienced in, in having a veteran in the classroom, um, which is really reassuring. And it's, I think the veterans are willing to stand up for themselves in a lot more, abrasive way than some other people are, which I think is really cool leadership opportunity to be like, no, I'm not going to let you address me like this. And I think that could even be inspiring to other students that may not be so willing to stand up for themselves if they feel like they're having the same uh, experience in whatever uh, you know life experience they have to bring to the classroom. So I think that's a really cool opportunity that veterans get in the classroom as well. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And when you look at it broadly, I think you mentioned outreach earlier, and, and one thing that any college or university in America, uh, I think this is not a controversial thing, I think everyone can agree on it. Um, they look in new students, they look for uh, the ability to bring a diversity of thought and lived experience to the classroom. And wherever that comes from, uh, perhaps unique experiences uh, in high school, you're a non-traditional student, you were perhaps in the military before you came to school, uh, you're a mother or a father. I, all of these things, uh, maybe, maybe you grew up uh, in a country outside of the U.S. and now you're on campus. The, the ability to have a diversity of thought and lived experience in the classroom is something that I think veterans come ready-made to bring in their learning opportunities, et cetera, but we enrich the classroom because of our, our past experience. Um, our past experience is not the only thing that is part of our makeup, uh, but you know the military is part of the, the sort of complex things that make us the people that we are. And 
you mentioned outreach being a thing earlier. Here's, here's why sometimes I'm almost confused that universities don't recruit us, uh, kind of like your first sergeant said, don't recruit us uh, with the same um, you know, excitement and vigor uh, that perhaps they do with other student populations. Uh, but we just got done studying the impact of the post 9-11 GI Bill. Uh, it's called the National Veteran Education Success Tracker. We tracked every post 9-11 GI Bill user uh, from a period of 2009 to the middle of 2015 we cross-referenced all that data in partnership with the VA uh, with the National Student Clearinghouse. So this is a first of its kind public and private partnership between a nonprofit SVA, the Department of Veterans Affairs, and the National Student Clearinghouse to get at what's the impact of the post-9-11 GI Bill. And here's what we learned in what I think colleges and universities can use as an outreach and dare I say a recruitment strategy for this population of students, i.e. student veterans. Student veterans, uh, you know, as, as I mentioned earlier, uh, you know, we, we come with the ability to pay for school, uh, whether it's at our not-for-profit public or private school, uh, we come with the ability to pay. And even at some private schools, uh, what the GI Bill doesn't cover, there's the Yellow Ribbon Program, yeah. et cetera. But coming with the ability to pay in higher education is a unique concept. Uh, the second thing is our population of student veterans have a higher propensity uh, towards STEM, business, and health-related fields, um, and accounts for over half of all student veteran majors in the country, uh, which colleges and universities are, are really trying to uh, find folks uh, for those majors. Um, we have uh, a better academic performance than our civilian counterparts, uh, so the national GPA right now is a respectable 3.11. For veterans in higher education, it's a 3.35. So, you know, our brothers and sisters in arms who are student veterans in the classroom right now, uh, by the metric of academic performance of a GPA, are doing really well in the classroom. Um, and then as it, as, it, as it pertains to persistence to a degree, uh, the overall success rate for veterans in higher education is 72%. It's higher than any other cohort of students in higher education. Uh, so the question for me in higher ed is, um, should be how can we get more students, student veterans on our campus, not, you know, are they going to have all of these issues and, and challenges and problems? Because despite any of those uh, challenges, which I believe are more to do with the fact that we're non-traditional students, we are not only overcoming them, we are triumphant over them and we're doing really well. And when we're doing really well, we're working better with those that we might see that are, you know, hey, hey brother, hey sister, come with me, you know? And, uh, and so from like an outreach strategy, from a diversity of thought and lived experience in the classroom. We enrich our classrooms when we're there as student veterans, which definitely carries over to the leadership aspects that we bring out of the campus community, but even the community at large, and really the bigger picture is to the whole country. Uh, we're leaders, we're civic assets, um, and you know, we, we are adding uh, degrees to all of that experience to make us literally tomorrow's leaders. I mean, that's SVA, yesterday's warriors, today's scholars, yeah. tomorrow's leaders. Something I think that doesn't, uh, you don't expect when you become a student veteran is, I realize that being an adult that did adult things prior to, uh, not that students aren't adults, but you know, like you're coming out of an, an adult life, a tradition, sure. you know, um, coming into the classroom, my relationship with my professors, whether they were good or bad, like whether I viewed them as a good professor, bad professor, whether they liked me, didn't like me, it was still a easier relationship to maintain and manage than I noticed compared to my younger 
uh, peers. Absolutely. So where I could approach a professor that I didn't agree with and be like, I don't think, like, I, like this, I don't agree with this, or, um, you know, I know you want us to do this, I'd really rather not, here's my proposal on what I'd rather do instead. And I think a lot of that comes from the military. You're prepared to you're prepared for confrontation. You know, like your superiors never want you to come with a problem unless you have a solution, right? And so you go into the professor's office already prepared for that. And I never looked at my professors as a higher rank person, if we're comparing to the military. Sure. I looked at them as a peer that had a higher billet. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So whereas I think traditional college students that are coming out of high school look at the teacher as like a higher rank. Like they look at them as like a boss in mm -hmm. some ways. Whereas I was like, you and I are the same age, you just have this higher billet than I do, sure. so I'm going to respect that, but we're going to talk to each other like because like we're both 28 years old. Absolutely. Because <laughs> we are. <laughs> right. Well, it's one of those things, so you, what you're describing is non-traditional students, right? Yeah. And I think that, um, that that's, that's, uh, that's not something wholeheartedly unique to student veterans. I think it's to any 28-year-old student who's working on their undergrad is, is going to, to kind of come at uh, that scenario uh, from that angle. Um, and, I, and I think that the military experience uh, prepares us perhaps even, even better than some other non-traditional students for exactly those conversations. I mean, the don't come to me without a, a problem, without a solution, right? That resonates yeah. so strongly. Um, you know, I know that it, if I can ever give advice to any student veteran, it's go to office hours at least once every semester with every professor you have. Yep. Because that ability to kind of get to know the early professor, on too. Oh yes, yep. as soon as at the beginning of the semester. But it's you bring up an interesting point because you're right. Student veterans, I think, have a, a propensity to relate to folks that are closer in age to them, who wind up being whether it's our uh, uh, our TAs or our professors, mm -hmm. we're, or the administration, uh, faculty and staff. Those are the people that are just uh, are closer in age to us, right? Yeah. But here's one of the things uh, where I think is kind of a cool opportunity. The military also prepared us as leaders. I mean, you know, no one starts in the military as like the boss of everything, right? You know, we all, we all start at the beginning, uh, we build up with the, the unit, and then from there, uh, increasingly, we gain rank and, and responsibility, which is how we learn leadership. Uh, what I find very interesting is that an awful lot of student veterans that are in the country right now uh, are between the ages of 24 and 35, some a little older, uh, just a few uh, semesters ago, there was a student veteran that graduated from uh, the University of Southern California who's a World War II veteran. So, I mean, it's all ages. Cool. But, like, you know, you're going to find the lion's share between those ages. That um, means we're millennials, right? And we actually uh, have, as a result of our military experience, we have experience leading people younger than us who are more junior and have, frankly... Um, a closer connection to high school than they do the Marine Corps or the Navy, right? I'm, I'm talking about the new guys and gals that show up to the command that now you're put in charge of. In a weird way, when you're on a college campus, um, you know, we find a lot of student veterans actually feel like, well, shoot, I'm an NCO or a petty officer again, you know? Yeah. And these, these, are, these are the new folks that I have the opportunity to kind of mentor and a guide. And in so doing, you might also find, well, shoot, uh, we're both studying for the same chemistry exam, but like, you, you, uh, you're a little bit more academically um, in the mix of things. I've been out of, you know, out of academics for eight years. That becomes your, a good person to study with, this 20-year-old, that sure. like, perhaps you didn't relate to uh, uh, the same way. And it's really interesting to wind up hearing the conversations that they have, uh, because in, in some ways, they kind of look up to you in the same way they do their, their professor. And like, 
hey, I have this life question. And you're like, well, hey, man, I, I, I've been through that. I, I can help you with that. I mean, just like you did as an NCO or petty officer uh, or you know, a junior military officer when you were on active duty, you have really those same opportunities, whether you enlisted or an officer, when you come back to the college environment. Sure. And, and that's another thing that we do. I mean, we, we, are, we are helping to improve our overall campus environment because um, you can't help still being a leader. You don't shake that off. That's with you now for life as a result of your military service, which I think is really cool. Yeah. Last question pertaining to okay. being a student veteran. What skills, talents, disciplines, et cetera, did you acquire in the military that you think directly affected your success as a student veteran? So uh, the first is, uh, is problem solving, the second is the ability to make a decision, and the third is don't let uh, the, the uh, great be the enemy of, of, of good, you know? Uh, Let's focus on that second one. I've never heard that one quite uh, before, the ability to make a decision. Why is that important as a student veteran? So I, I think that it's important because um, when you come to a college environment, uh, whether you're doing a group project with inherently folks that are probably um, s uh, traditional students more so than, you know, you're you, it would be rare to find yourself in a group where like everyone in my group is a student veteran, right? Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I don't think it's unique to what branch you serve in in the military, but you do have to make decisions in the military. Not always under the easiest of circumstances, not always in environments that are, um, you know, what, what folks would say are comfortable. Uh, and it, it, it gives you an ability that I think separates you from traditional students in a positive way because um, you can figure out whatever the problem is and, and be able to get the group to a decision in a group project. You can be uh, working as a chapter leader and realizing that like, well, if we, if we wish, we, we just go back and forth all the time, we're never gonna get to action if we can't make a decision. You know, 80% today is better than 100% never. You know, and so you, you go with the ability to make a decision to impact whether it be change or action uh, as it pertains to your own academic plan, as it pertains to like group projects that you'd be part of or other clubs or, uh, or groups that you'd be involved with uh, in your campus community. And it's something that I think, uh, you know, even employers, uh, you know, tout veterans as like wonderful additions to their workforce for our ability to actually make decisions. And I think uh, that's something that directly is attributed from our military service uh, that we bring with us into our civilian lives, specifically in higher education, and then even after graduation as we transition into career, uh, being able to make a decision is, uh, is, really, is really a valuable skill set that maybe not everyone uh, in our American society has, has, uh, has the experience doing um, and the comfort with doing. Sure. And that's something that's, that's a differentiator that, in a big way when we're, when we're student veterans. Sure. Uh, last question of the interview, but one, uh, unrelated to student SVA, student veterans, but one I really like asking people in the sure. veteran space. Name me one or two veterans inside the veteran space, whether they're in an organization or elsewhere that, that you look up to or that have you really excited right now that you're like really impressed by the work they're doing. Yeah, with, without a doubt, Jake Wood at Team Rubicon and, and Blaine Smith at, at Team RWB. Uh, so at SVA, uh, you know, we, we all work together. I, I think that's very common with the post-9-11 organizations from Mission Continues to the ones I just mentioned, IVA, Got Your Six, et cetera. We all work really well together. But Jake, for, for a unique reason, as a social entrepreneur, uh, Jake is, uh, is an enlisted veteran uh, who's running uh, a really amazing organization uh, that's doing important work 
uh, by harnessing the abilities of veterans and focusing on the, the strengths that we bring uh, home with us and into society once we take the uniforms off. And Blaine, uh, you know, Blaine is one of these guys who, um, I don't know if you've ever heard uh, one of Blaine's podcasts or, um, or just hear Blaine speak, one of the coolest voices for radio ever. Um, but Blaine is somebody that I look up to um, in, in the manner that, you know, Blaine is from small town Florida, uh, you know, gets an appointment to West Point, uh, goes on to serve in the Army and then later Special Forces and then transitions out, goes to grad school, does the corporate gig for a while, but then realizes that like the ability to help veterans uh, find their purpose uh, after taking off the uniform and, and doing something that focuses on the positive attributes um, is, is really rather cool. So those are two guys that like, you know, I consider uh, colleagues and peers, but that uh, I think are giants in the space and I, yeah. I, I, I admire a great deal. Yeah, we've, uh, I've had Blaine Smith uh, on the podcast before and you're right, that, that voice just works so well for audio. He's like the best at Yeah, and I've, uh, I've interviewed Jake Wood for other uh, efforts and um, what him and William McNulty are do, have done with Team Rubicon is, um, it's just, it's uncomparable to, you know, I, I feel like they're just in their own lane. Absolutely. And they're just, and they're nailing it. That's great. All day long. Yeah. yeah. Jared, thank you so much for joining me. I know we went over uh, a bit on the proposed time, but we had such a good time talking appreciate to each it. other. I really appreciate thank it. Thank you very much. Thank you for your service, uh, not only to our country, but to our student veterans here at SVA. I really appreciate it. Well, and to you the same, and as a former chapter leader and, and somebody that's, that's working to engage the veteran space broadly and veterans, thank you. I really appreciate it, brother. Of course. I served in Vietnam. I served in World War II. I served in Afghanistan. And VA serves us all. No matter when you served. No matter if you saw combat or not. There are benefits for veterans of every generation. See what VA can do for you. To learn what benefits you may be eligible for, visit www.va.gov. That's www.va.gov. Two things I want to highlight following Jared's interview. The first is, if you're interested in joining or starting an SVA chapter at your school, go to studentveterans.org and use their chapter directory to see who the contact is at your school, inquire with them, and get involved. The second is www.benefits.va.gov slash GI Bill. That is a site that has a lot of information regarding the GI Bill, uh, including ways that you can choose a school, and assistance in applying for benefits. Today's veteran of the day is Navy veteran Jeremy Holt. Jeremy served as a gunner's mate from 1999 to 2003. Jeremy deployed in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom during his service. He was on the USS San Jacinto when he saved lives in his unit from a hydrogen sulfide leak on board by alerting officials immediately. Thank you for your service, Jeremy. To see Jeremy's full write-up and to learn how to nominate your own Veteran of the Day, visit blogs.va.gov. That wraps up episode 18. I want to thank you all for listening. I know there are a lot of options out there for entertainment, so I appreciate you spending your time with these veterans and their stories. If you have any questions you'd like to have answered here on the show, please tweet them to us using hashtag VA podcast or email, email them to us, newmedia at va.gov. Be sure to follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash veteransaffairs for more stories from our community. I'm Timothy Lawson, signing off.